0: Now, is that better? For the third time, <laughs> we have handouts. If you have, if that may be a surprise to some of you, but we have a handout. Brother Wayne has those coming, and uh, you are welcome to call your attention. Brother Bob's got some over here as well. Hot commodities going fast. Get yours before they're gone. And if you missed some from last week, we have several down here on the front pew. Okay, this morning we're going to uh, to get started, and we're going to be looking at another aspect of the prophecy of Isaiah. In fact, this, this will give a good synopsis of the entire book, the entire 66 chapters, and it's a challenging lesson, at least it is to me, as it talks about the, the prophecy that Isaiah was given foretelling the wonderful gospel message. As we begin the class, let's begin with prayer. Our Lord God Almighty, we are thankful for the blessings that you've given us. And Lord, we're so thankful for this beautiful Lord's Day, for the health that allows us to be together in this class and in our assembly later. And we're mindful of those whose health is not allowing them to be out. We are mindful of those that are recovering from... Uh, medical procedures and surgeries, tests. We pray that you'll be with those, especially those that are undergoing treatments for uh, cancer and and other infirmities. Father, we're thankful for the church here at Dalrida, and we pray your blessings upon us as we strive to follow your will and give glory to you in all that we do. We pray your blessings upon our class this morning. We're so thankful for the prophecy of Isaiah and pray that we'll be able to be challenged by its message. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Isaiah, as we pointed out last week, is one of the major prophets, but Isaiah is significant. You will find in Isaiah the probably one of the most quoted prophets of the Bible because of the lesson that we're going to be talking about this morning. Isaiah is known as the gospel of the Old Testament. In Isaiah, you'll find the, the prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, the salvation of sinners, and the establishment of the kingdom of God. Isaiah's message is the gospel, the good news, that God is going to provide for sinful man that which man cannot provide for himself. It is a free gift, but it is not an unconditional gift. It is a gift that is given but it's given with stipulations and with conditions. And as we go through the lesson this morning, I think we'll see how that point is, is highlighted. The central message of Isaiah focuses on the problem of sin. In fact, you begin in Isaiah chapter 1, as Isaiah is talking there about the nation, it begins immediately with the message of sin. Verse 4, he says, Alas, sinful nation." people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. they have abandoned the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they have turned away from Him. And then you go all the way to chapter 66 to the conclusion, and in that final chapter, you find not only is the message of salvation heralded that they are going to declare the glory of God throughout all the nations, but there are those today that will not respond to God and will not continue steadfastly with God. And he speaks in the closing verse there of Isaiah that those that are faithful will look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm will not die, their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. The message of Isaiah is sin is not a good thing. Sin is not something that you just kind of treat nonchalantly. Sin is an abomination to the Lord. And sin is not to be treated in some casual, apathetic way. If you have those that that you know that are in sin, Isaiah says you better do something about their situation. You better wake them up. Or they're going to be in that predicament that we see in chapter 66. Their worm dieth not. And the metaphor there is is one that that is just about as gross as you can think. It's literally talking about maggots. And and we've seen unfortunately maggots. I remember one of my kids I sent one time out in the summertime to take some trash out and they opened it and we had something that that had accumulated a number of flies that loved to plant their eggs and then kaboom there you have All kinds of maggots, and they were just sick because of that. Who wants to be around that? But that's what these people are going to have throughout their worm diet not. Forget the natural cycle, but you understand uh, the horror. This is what sinners are going to face. And Isaiah says, how can you let somebody you know and that you love live in such rebellion to God that they're going to be in that predicament for eternity? That's the message of Isaiah. But the message is not one of condemnation. The message is one of good news because they don't have to do that. They can change. They can choose. They can live better. And so the gospel of of the Old Testament is that of Isaiah. The message is the problem of sin can be answered. And look at some of these verses. Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. Isaiah 55, we'll come back to this at the end of the lesson. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you might live. And look at what he says. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. We don't fully appreciate that. Phrase, but that is a significant phrase. God is promising to be with us forever and ever. An everlasting covenant. He says, Let the wicked forsake his ways, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return him to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly... Pardon. What a wonderful message this is. Isaiah announces there that the, the good news of the gospel is to be heralded all of this. And you go back to Isaiah 66. Look in uh, verses 19, the latter part of verse 19. He says, They will declare my glory among the nations. They shall bring all your brethren from all the nations to my holy mountain Jerusalem. This is what Isaiah was wanting the people to do. Look at your situation. Evaluate your situation. And you better change to be more acceptable to God or to be acceptable to God. That's the lesson that that Isaiah brings to us. Isaiah had the enviable position of foretelling this good news. Don't you love to tell good news? Don't you enjoy, you know, you hear something that is so good and, and it just can't stay inside of you. It has to come out. You have to tell others because you love to share good news. And that's where Isaiah is. He was in the enviable position of giving forth the prophecy, foretelling the fact that God was going to establish an everlasting covenant. He will abundantly pardon. He is going to show unlimited compassion. What better news is there than that? And this message ought to excite Christians and it ought to energize uh, our zeal in serving the Lord today. We have a better message than Isaiah. It's better because it's reality. It has been fulfilled. He's, He's looking 700 to 800 years ahead. We have it. Doesn't that excite you to tell that good news? And every day, we, we come across those individuals that are struggling, bowed down with sin, struggling in sorrow. We've got the answer to their problem. And we need to share it. And it's good news to be able to do that. But a sad reality is that very little effort is given. You know, this time of the year, you have all kinds of gatherings and get-together. And, and so let me ask you, as you get together with your, your friends and your loved ones, <clears throat> how does the topic of spiritual condition come up? You're aware of some that are lost. They're dying. Should they die right now, they're going to hell. So will we just say, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and just go on their way? Isaiah couldn't do that. And that challenges us today. That's why I say this message is challenging. The prophecy was not to be concealed. Isaiah was given this, and, and a number of times I have two references here, chapter 45:19 and 48, 6. But there are multiple references throughout Isaiah where God says, don't hold back, don't fail to speak, don't cover it up, don't hide it, don't conceal it. What would have happened if Isaiah had done that? He wouldn't have been acceptable to God. Apply that to our situation today. How accountable are we to be faithful to God's charge that we are not to cover up, conceal, and hide the message? When Isaiah was called by God to speak forth, he focused on the problem of sin, God's sorrow for sin, and then to give The explanation that there's a remedy, that sin, uh, that can be taken in a person's life. The same applies to us today. And so why is there indifference to such wonderful messages of joy and peace and comfort today? Why is it? Uh, The message of Isaiah was a universal offer. It focused on the problem of sin And it says, here is the offer that the world has. And it was a great message, but it was met with skepticism. Look at the culture in which Isaiah lived and in which the prophecy was recorded. And there you find a very religious people. They profess that they believe God, but Isaiah said they have ears and hear not, eyes and see not. They just don't understand. They wanted to go on about their their regular routine of religious ritual. And Isaiah says that's not going to work. The message of redemption must be heralded. It must be spoken out. And, and we today, maybe we do not have the enthusiasm and the zeal because we don't understand the points of the message. Is that possible? If so then the prophecy of Isaiah is going to help us because we're going to find in this prophecy a number of significant points that will help us in this. Uh, Isaiah announces that God's great scheme is going to take place. And his great scheme is summarized in, in this message. It is the redemption of the lost. And let's look at some of the traits. The first one we have right here is this is a message that was universally offered To all mankind. Now I have a a string of references there. And this doesn't exhaust what you find in the prophecy. But here this gets it started. And I hope you're reading through Isaiah. And as you read through you might make notes along these as well. But here talks about the universality of God's love. God has always wanted every human being to be identified with Him. To be in a relationship with Him. Now, those that relationship requires certain things to be done. It's not just wishful thinking. You're not born into it. Uh, it's something that is conditional. And so as we follow those stipulations, we are identified with, with God's people. Even the most ancient of all the feasts of Israel, the Passover, had conditions. But have you ever thought that even foreigners were invited to participate in the Passover meal? You didn't have to be an Israelite. you, You could be a participant in the Passover meal. Exodus 12, 43 through 49 talks about this. But you see, even then, whenever God was dealing exclusively with the Israelite nation, even then, God had a universal... Uh, invitation to others and God's offer of salvation can be accepted by anyone who is willing to obey his commands. Revelation 22, 17. Here, whosoever is thirsty, let him come and drink of the waters of life. Whoever is thirsty, whoever wants to make that choice. Well, Isaiah 45 is the first reference there. Let's look at some of the points that uh, that we find in this. But uh, uh, let me see where where I am. I've gotten ahead of my clicker. Okay, we'll stay here. Isaiah 45, 22 through 25. If you will, turn your Bibles over there to that chapter and we'll look at some of the points quickly about this and then you can you can go home and concentrate on it more during the week. But here is one of the passages that speaks of the universal offer of salvation. If you look in in 45, 18, and 19, this offer is not to be made in a very vague and secret way. There God says, I am the Lord, there is none else. I have not spoken in secret. And so he says in verse 19, I'm declaring the things that are upright. God wants us to make sure that we understand. This isn't some secret contract that we're being invited to. This is a universal message. Another thing, if you look down in verse 20, He says, Gather yourselves and come, draw near you fugitives of the nation. And the word fugitives of the nations who have no knowledge of the Almighty God is looking beyond the Israelite nation at this point. They're bound to idolatry. These are the individuals who are in the world. God wants those folks that are idolatrous. The gracious invitation, look in verse 22. And this is to all the fugitives of the nation, to Israel, to everybody. He says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. And there is no other. The universal offer is righteous and upright. God is the the righteous God. Verse 19, I the Lord speak righteousness declaring things that are upright. It is only right for God to offer salvation to every creature on earth. Every living human being is offered this opportunity to be saved by God. For God to restrict His salvation to only the physical lineage of Abraham would be an unrighteous act. That's why God is no respecter of persons. And that's why you and I can sit together in our Lord's Day assemblies, enjoy the fellowship with one another, because God is our God and there is no other, verse 22 says. Let's look at another passage it's found in uh, Isaiah 56. I'm not sure where I am on my PowerPoint, but just listen. All right, Isaiah 56. Turn over there and you'll see uh, more uh, discussion about the offer of salvation. There, verses 3 and 5 says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Now don't just read over these words casually. Look at what Isaiah is saying. Again, we see the the term foreigners that are used. Verse 6, he says, the foreigners who join themselves. The foreigners refer to those that are outside of Israel. They are the non-Abrahamic seed of the world. They are invited to join. See, they can be a part of God and, and His people. They can join themselves to the Lord. They identify themselves with the Lord. And this identifying results whenever they obey God's commands and they change His... Their identity. Now that's very important. You can seek to identify with the group. But God says you've got to do more than that. Not only must you be identified, but you must obey the commands and you must change your identity. Your identity changes from a previous life. Previously, these foreigners were identified as those opposed to God, but now... He's going to be identified as a part of God's people. And he, because he's identified with God's people, then he will speak their words, practice their ways, and perform the worship that God has commanded that they should have. What a wonderful blessing. God invites all to leave their previous associations and become members identified with his people. And that's a wonderful trait that in- involves our message of the gospel today. Isaiah uses this idea of identification throughout the the prophecy. And as he uses this identification process, he lays the foundation for the identification process of the New Testament church. And, And as we see in the New Testament church, We are called out of the world, Doug was talking about that in here Wednesday night, called out of the world into the church. That identifies us. In fact, that identification is so critical that in Acts chapter 9, 26, whenever Saul of Tarsus came back to Jerusalem, the Bible said, uh, depending on the translation, I think the old American standard says, he has saved to join himself to the disciples. He wanted to be identified with the disciples. Why? Because they were God's people. He didn't want to be identified with those that were opposing God. In God's messianic kingdom, there's no position of prestige. Everyone is on the same level. Their value is exactly the same. They may have different talents. They may have different roles. But they are all... Equal in value with God. They all have been sinners. But they all have been saved by the grace of God. And those who are identified with God's people are are there because they've been saved by obeying God's commands. They're secure. When you're identified with the group, that gives you security. Isaiah 56 and verse 5. The Bible says this. To them... I will give in my house and with my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Later on in Isaiah, I think it's 62 and verse 2, the followers of God will have a new name. Well, that new name is Acts 11, 26, and they were called Christians first in Antioch. We see Isaiah saying, okay, whenever you leave the world, whenever you identify with God, whenever you have your sins removed, then you need to understand you're an entirely different person. You can't live as you once lived. And so as we we listen to this thrilling message, we see how applicable it is for the world today. God is a gracious God. And he says, when my people come to... And I haven't really given much thought to this. I'll throw it out and let you think about that. But God says, in my my kingdom, in this realm of identification where sins are forgiven and the Messiah rules, I will set up a memorial that will cause you to understand your identification. Well... I'm not saying that it's talking about the Lord's Supper, but I'm going to do some more study on that because as I was reading through in preparation for the lesson, I thought maybe that's that's what he's talking about because we assemble every Lord's Day around the table of the Lord as memorial for those to join together in fellowship because we are identified as God's people. Interesting thought. Give more. I'm not saying that's a correct interpretation, but... I suggest it to you for your thought and your consideration and study as well. But God says, I'll give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And that name, as we saw, a new name, a name that identifies them strictly as God's people, and that's the name of Christian, I believe, in Acts eleven, twenty six. What a wonderful fact to consider. Salvation is offered to every everyone. The, the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22:9 9 through 10, the, there the master says, You go out, as many as you find, you invite them. And that's our responsibility in the church today. Nobody is prevented from receiving an invitation. It doesn't matter how bad they are. God will invite them to come. They can be changed. They can enter into that everlasting They can have a new name and a new life. And how wonderful the prospect that all the past is washed away, but it's conditional. They've got to continue in obedience and trust and faith in God. Well, why does God do this? Because Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, The Lord is gracious and the Lord waits on high to have compassion to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. It's only just for God to offer the lost a way of salvation. And He's waiting to show that compassion. Why do we keep the compassion hid? Why do we we keep silent whenever somebody is doing something they ought not to do? They're, They're serving some God that doesn't exist in the world. And they think that they're just as fine and God's blessing them. And we know that that is not the case. Isaiah challenges us in that. The universal offer of God's salvation should be met with overwhelming gratitude and joy. Every time one becomes aware of another soul that's heard, believed, obeyed the gospel, turned from darkness to light, great rejoicing. It took place with Ethiopian eunuch. It took place with the Philippian jailer in his house. Every time in the Bible where you read of conversion, you read of great rejoicing that took place. And even prior to the preaching of the New Testament Gospel, Acts 2, we're told that even there is even rejoicing in the presence of the angels over those that are lost and are found. Now, once we understand this message, this universality, what should we do? And here we are right now. Let us recognize the wonderful blessings. Let us rejoice in the fact that God is willing that not all, not anyone, should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. Let us resolve that we're going to publish this wonderful news so that honest and good hearts will have opportunity to hear the wonderful story. An amazing text. I'll just mention it. Second Kings 7 and verse 9. There the Bible says, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will over Let us not keep silent. We're not doing right if we're keeping silent. So let us reveal the simplicity of the gospel, how people can be reconciled to God if they will hear, believe, confess, repent, and be immersed for the forgiveness of their sins. Well, the message is universal. Quickly, it's a message with universal identity. We've we've mentioned this a little bit. Here's some more passages that talks about the identification. But Isaiah, in his prophecy, describes a unique identity process that takes place. You've got those that are in the world, and then you have those that are, are in fellowship with God. They are identified. These are the ones that have listened to the offer of salvation, decided to believe and obey. They are going to be viewed in a totally different way. How? Isaiah describes them. They're going to be a city of righteousness, a faithful city. The disobedient are viewed as God's adversaries. Even those that have have professed obedience and demonstrated it, but then fell away, they're not a part of this city. They're not citizens of this city. Revelation will speak about this eternal city in greater detail for us. But Isaiah says the faithful of God are a righteous, a faithful city. They have followed God's will and they are faithful in God's commandments. They are called those who are perishing, those who are scattered, but now they are not. I wish we had time to look over in Isaiah 27 at this particular passage Verses 12 and 13, we just don't don't have the time to do that. But uh, here the prophet uses two, two metaphors that are very interesting. First of all, in, in, he talks about those that uh, were, in verse 12, in the threshing process. And this is an interesting metaphor because in the threshing process, you know, they would, they would beat the grain out and then the grain would be collected. And the interesting point is that those that were responsible for threshing were responsible for getting every grain that was rem- So one by one they would pick up, you know, the grains. And that, that careful collection is, is what's in mind here. Look at what he says. In that day the Lord will start his threshing from the flowing stream of the Euphrates to the brook of Egypt and you will be gathered one by one God is concerned about the ones he's concerned about the individuals he is concerned about you because you have worth and value and he wants to show you his care one by one. God is concerned about you significant listen But then he goes on later in in verse 13 and he talks about those that were scattered in the land of Egypt. And that was a metaphor that referred to sheep or cattle that, uh, you know, they just went anywhere they wanted to go. And they were scattered and that meant that they were in a lost state and that safety and security was no longer available to them. Each of these metaphors, the threshing and the scattering, shows that those that were numbered with God's righteous and faithful were once wayward and lost they had been separated from God they were destined for destruction but because of their value they were gathered together they they were were in fact the the, the term one by one the hebrew refers to a great respect that is demonstrated you are so concerned and you are so respectful you are picking up each each one so God's love compassion is demonstrated here. The lost can be sound, found. Don't sell yourself on the idea. The lost can be now there are some that are beyond that. Hebrews 6 talks about those that that is hopeless. They are beyond being being restored. They crucify to themselves daily Jesus. They don't care about God and God's ways, but there are others That may appear that way, but until they hear the gospel, they won't have an opportunity to choose. So that's where you come into. The laws can be found. Their personal value can be increased. They may think that their value is totally bankrupt at this point, but their true value can be restored. All right, let's look at another point. Uh, They're called the ransom of the Lord. That refers to the fact that Jesus bought for himself. Uh, through his own blood. The purchase uh, of the church, as Paul would tell the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. They are the, we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. 59 and verse 20 talks about those that have turned away from uh, transgression. And that's, a, that, that's another interesting uh, point. Let's look at that real quick. Isaiah 59 and uh, verse 20. There the Bible says a redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgressions in Jacob. Now the the point there is is the concept communicated in the word turn. Those who have turned uh, from transgression. The Hebrew verb here means to just completely turn away. Uh, Acts 3.19 has the same concept of repentance. They turn from that which was wrong to that which is right. And here Isaiah says that they are going to turn. They are going to turn back to God. They are going to retreat from evil. They are going to uh, reverse their course of living. And those in sin are living wrong. They've got to change. They've got to they stop doing what they're doing. And don't pamper them in, in their sins. That makes you party to that. You encourage them in that. Isaiah would challenge us. You speak to them about the gospel in a way that they understand that they need to turn from their transgression. The verb expresses a turning away from evil and a turning toward good. And it describes those whose hearts are so sensitive to wrongdoing that they instantly humble themselves and they confess their wrongdoing wrongdoing. And they initiate immediate change to stop that wrongdoing. Isaiah 59, 19 has this description. He says, So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west, His glory from the rising of the sun, and He will come like a rushing stream. All who hear the gospel are going to turn. And why are they going to turn? Because of what Isaiah says here, they fear the name of the Lord. And they understand His glory. You've got from the east to the west. And that's a, that's a uh, uh, idiom that's used to describe a total, all-encompassing thing. Everybody, doesn't matter where you live, everybody needs to turn to God because of the fear of God and because of the glory of the Lord God Almighty. This is one of the, the most encouraging points in the message that Isaiah speaks. You may not think it's encouraging. I remember in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, we had this Andre group that uh, they, they wanted only positive sermons. And they said, we don't want to hear about hell. That's not positive. Well, one of the elders says, well, I think it's pretty positive. It keeps me on a positive road. Brother Bob, they weren't too happy with us, and eventually they left, which was good for the congregation. But you think about this, this is a very positive point whenever it comes to the preaching of the gospel. The gospel is for all. It's an encouraging point. It gives mankind an opportunity to turn back to God. You're going down a wrong path. How long are you going to go down a wrong path? Well, here the sinner needs to realize they need to stop and they need to turn around and they need to go back. Here is hope and encouragement and good news. Individuals who are ensnared by sin's bondage are often convinced they're beyond hope. Have you ever talked to folks like that? I remember one time in St. Louis I was called. uh, It was the Old City Hospital, which has long been... uh, raised, but uh, it, it was a hospital, and you'd go in and have wards just full of beds, 20 or 30 beds, and for some reason, I got a call one day asking me to go and see a fellow that was up there on one of the wards, and I went, <laughs> and uh, I, I went up to meet him and, and talked with him, and he says, well, preacher, I know why you're here, but I want to tell you something. I've been so bad for so long that there's no hope for me at all, so you might as well just go on and leave. He was on his deathbed telling me that. And uh, I tried to talk with him more, but the more I talked, the more resistant he became. You see, there are many in the world like that fellow, and uh, they are convinced that they are beyond hope. They are certain that they can never find forgiveness for what they've done. They're convinced that all is hopeless in their lives. But the gospel that Isaiah is foretelling and the gospel that you and I have in our hands as a reality today says that's not the case. Because God can take the most hopeless and make them full of hope. And what encouragement that is. To such despondent souls, Isaiah's prophecy foretells of the wonderful grace and the full forgiveness that is offered by Jehovah God. Here is a message of hope that the world needs to hear. But in order for the world to hear it, they've got to realize where they are. They've got to know that they need this gospel. If they are very content in their situation, and if they think, well, I'm enjoying the blessings of God when it's not God blessing them but the devil, then they they need to hear this message. Because until they hear and heed it, they're not going to be saved and they're not going to have a life of hope. And like that fellow many, many years ago in City Hospital St. Louis, they're going to die in a hopeless condition. All who are willing to submit and obey The commands of God are assured of full forgiveness if they turn, if they turn, Isaiah 59, 20, to those who turn from transgressions in Jacob. A Redeemer will come if they turn, but it's up to them. The Redeemer has done all that he can. Uh, So many passages in the New Testament uh, will, will confirm what Isaiah is talking about here. The message of the gospel is distinctive. It identifies those that obey the commands of God. Listen to this. One cannot obey God's commands and continue to worship and live as the majority lives and worship. You can't do that. God told Israel long ago, don't follow the majority in the way of wrong. Don't follow those that are doing evil. And if you're a part of the majority in the world, you better stop and look at where you are and where you're going. Isaiah says if you are identified with God, then you're not a part of the majority. You are the part of of the world. And the part of the world is not a part of those identified with God. And those in, in the Lord's fellowship, you must maintain that individuality, that identification. You cannot sacrifice that by becoming more like the nations around about you. Look at another point. The uh, the message of Isaiah is a message with a universal plan. As we said, this message applies to everyone. Salvation is not restricted by geographical boundaries, by different languages, by some kind of ethical, ethical or uh, ethnical our racial population, it's its offered to all. And, and of one man, we find salvation that is offered. The gospel is for all the world. And I love that song that sings that phrase. And, and that song in our hymn book, The Gospel is for All, actually was composed by a missionary trying to persuade brethren in America that the gospel is for all. And it's not just... Exclusively for America. God's plans can provide all needs. It's amazing to me, whatever country you go to, whatever culture in which you work, the gospel applies to that. It's not a cultural book, it is a book that applies to all men. And the universal plan of God is found in Isaiah 55. Let's look. Real quick at this as as long as we have time. Here, Isaiah 55 is one of the greatest chapters of the entire Bible that talks about salvation. We read some of that at the beginning of the class. But here in one chapter you find expressive statements of God in regard to salvation. And, And throughout this chapter the moods and the tenses and the grammar are used to heighten the description that is given. And let's look at each one of these. Why is the gospel the universal message? Why is the gospel for all? Number one, it's able to provide the basic needs that all men have. Number two, it is able to supply what everybody needs. Everybody needs what the gospel has. And and it is able to compel and in. And Verses 1 through 3, you have five imperatives that speak about the urgency. Here is what God offers, and this is found no other place. The gospel is for all. It is able to, to satisfy. And look at the abundance as you read through that chapter. It's not just a meager amount, but it's an overflowing, it's an abundance, it's without end. That's what the gospel is able to provide for us. Remember in John 4, the water at the well? I'll give you water where you never thirst again. Give me that water, the woman says. Why? Because it is God. And that's what Isaiah is telling us here. Verses 4 through 7, it's able to embrace everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, where you live, what language you speak, how you look. It embraces you. And it invites you into a fellowship where you are embraced because you are like everybody else. What a wonderful message that in in our crazy world where so much judgment is based upon a person's appearance or upon where they live or upon a number of other silly things. The gospel says... You are important. You are valued because you are part of God's family, and you are identified with them. And nothing can can lessen your importance. And then verses eight through thirteen, the gospel is able to confront our comfort. Those who return to God are going to find God's mercy as waiting for them. God's waiting. He remember we in in. Uh, Uh, An earlier reference, God is waiting to show his abundance because he's a God of justice. Well, God is waiting to offer comfort just as the prodigal's father was waiting for him to come home. God is waiting for the world to return. The father left it up for the prodigal to make his own decision. And so God is waiting for us as well. Okay, the message there. Uh, Whenever it's preached, Isaiah 29 says a wonderful, wonderful uh, hope. Well, we're running out of time. Just fill in the blanks. It's a message with universal joy. Uh, Look at, at the joy of salvation. Isaiah 12 speaks about that. Talks about the highway of holiness. Wish we had time to talk about that. Universal joy in chapter 43. Well, this joy is a reality that's found. Isaiah speaks about that, and I hope you'll go home and this week you'll read through Isaiah. In fact, you can read through it in one setting if you have the time and the concentration uh, level. But as you read through it, it's one continuous message and how wonderful it is. But as you read through it this week, make a note about the message that is found. Time's up. Thank you all.